Hello and welcome to Future Building Podcast. I'm Matthew Aitchison, Professor at Monash University and CEO of Building 4.0 CRC. Transformation is underway right now in the global economy. Automation, artificial intelligence and other advanced technologies are revolutionising the way that products are made and moved around the world. This new era is often called Industry 4.0 and our mission is to bring the best of these innovations to the building and construction sector. Sponsored by Building 4.0 CRC, in our next series of conversations, we'll be talking with experts from our membership and beyond to explore the challenges and opportunities we face on this journey. Building 4.0 CRC is a body that connects leading organisations from Australia's public, private and academic sectors. And it's been engaged by the Advanced Manufacturing Growth Centre as part of an Australian government initiative to look at developing a roadmap for Industry 4.0, specifically for the building industry. Today, in this first conversation, we tackle the fundamental questions about Industry 4.0. What is it? And which of its innovations can and can't be applied to the building and property sectors? To begin, let's first hear from some of our researchers and partners at the CRC and their thoughts on Industry 4.0. So some of the interesting challenges I think are going to be defining what data is useful for us to collect um, and developing frameworks to help us analyse it and turn it into knowledge that can guide our future design decisions. Our industry is actually a very information-intensive industry. So given that Industry 4.0 is improving the access and use of information, it's going to have a significant impact. Automotive industry or airplanes, they try to get their products better and better every year. I would like to see that type of development happening also in the construction industry. There's an opportunity to test ideas in that virtual space before we take them to the physical world of construction. Industry 4.0 can can impact the amount of waste that's produced and the amount of carbon that's produced by real estate and construction. We can achieve net zero through the value chain. I think it gives us a greater understanding of building product fabrication. Hopefully the deployment of digital technologies help improve the quality of the work experiences for tens of thousands of people involved in the sector. Industry 4.0 is coming and you know if we don't uh, take the, the, uh, the step uh, quick enough, uh, we will actually lag behind uh, other countries around the world. The approaches of Industry 4.0 is really a, um, a levelling of the playing field and saying, well, actually, a lot of people could be involved in this industry that don't need to come to it with uh, brute strength. Joining me today to discuss these issues, among others, are Jeff Conley, CEO of Siemens Australia, Andrew Detmer, President of the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, and Bronwyn Evans, CEO of Engineers Australia and our very own Chair of Building 4.0 CRC. Welcome to you all. Jeff, I'd like to start with you if that's okay. Uh, We've just heard a few different takes from our membership on what they think Industry 4.0 is and what its significance is. As the head of a very large company who's played a big role in coining the term itself, How would you describe Industry 4.0 and what do you see as its potential? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Look, Industry 4.0 often gets mistaken as a technology play. Industry 4.0 is the response to the forward-looking view that there is another industrial revolution occurring. And gratefully, this time, the revolution has been seen prospectively, not retrospectively. So we have a chance to prepare society for something that's changing, that's um, significant, Uh, but it is technology-based in the terms of the digitalization capabilities that that are going on in the world. So if I step back a bit, Industry 4.0 was a a, a term coined several years ago in Germany, describing that cyber-physical world of manufacturing initially. It foresaw um, what does a a factory look like in a cyber-physical world, Um, Very quickly, though, it extended out to not just the factory four walls, but out beyond that into the supply chains. Uh, Then it extended out to say, well, actually, the the whole issue with Industry 4.0 is about capability. It is about where could, if you look at it and say, where could the application of all of those digital technologies also fit? 
Uh, and it actually then says, well, our, you, you can actually apply Industry 4.0 across into uh, uh, process industries. You can apply Industry 4.0 capabilities again uh, across into infrastructure. You can apply it uh, into buildings, of course, uh, and even into healthcare. So we talk very much Industry 4.0 about creating digital twins of whatever it is we're producing. Uh, and then saying, and can I have a digital twin of what's producing it? And then through its whole life, uh, managing that that um, uh, life cycle. So the enabling technologies, as I just, just sort of briefly touched on, is industrial IoT, Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, all those buzzwords that we hear, 3D printing, uh, product lifecycle software, digital threads, edge computing in terms of managing energy flows. All, all form part of what ultimately will be the automation of automation uh, across domains. The Germans uh, started the journey, of course, wanting to be more competitive in that digital world, speed, efficiency, quality, flexibility, all those things that the Germans had been renowned for inside the manufacturing environment suddenly had application beyond that. Uh, and for Australia, I think that creates tremendous opportunities in terms of flexible production, uh, I know one of my colleagues on this on this talk today will be very happy to hear the reshoring of certain parts of manufacturing that we lost uh, two decades ago, bring them back, knowing that you can actually now manufacture much more in the, in the on in situ um, uh, where you actually need to build whatever it is you're building. So it's not about technology alone. It's the industry 4.0 concept is talking about then how do we get ready? for what we can foresee out 10, 20, 30 years into the future. Thanks for that, Jeff. Uh, that's a really interesting framing of the issue there, the automation of automation. Uh, effectively, that could be seen as a jump from what we might think of as Industry 3.0 to Industry 4.0. In planning for this new future in Australia, I understand that you were the chair of a group that involved everyone on this panel and that in fact together you traveled to Germany to visit various factories including the Siemens factory at Amberg which was uh, reportedly quite impressive and that you did this as part of the Prime Minister's Industry 4.0 task force. Bronwyn, turning to you, could I ask you to share how that initiative came together and what it set out to achieve? Um, so when the Industry 4.0 Zero Task Force was put together, we saw the success in the German model and had looked at how do we make sure we've got groups in the Australian scheme that are able to have a partner group in the German model. So for example, we looked at the um, standards and architecture. So the whole architectural system, if you like, around Industry 4.0. We looked at uh, how do we have a group that mirrored the skills and capability? How do we have a group that understands test beds? So we really said, in Australia, let's not try and, and make this anew. Let's find a, a scheme that's working really well. And, and as Jeff has already mentioned, there was a lot of what was happening in Germany that was really showing the way for what the future could be. So then one of the main industrial showcases is the Hanover Fair. So the opportunity for the group in Australia to go to the Hanover Fair and really immerse ourselves in what was happening in Germany was what we did back, I think, in 2018. And it was a, a wonderful opportunity to go through kilometres and kilometres, it seemed, of um, showcasing industry processes. And, and as Jeff mentioned, those enabling technologies of the industrial internet, of AI, of looking and seeing them in practice. So it was a really rich experience. That sounds amazing, Bronwyn. Yeah, I couldn't agree more that seeing things which are already in practice is so important. And I'd like to discuss that a little bit more now. And it comes through a question from one of our partners, Matthew Barbuto from Unomia. Um, my question to, to the panel would be, which other industries are most relevant and relatable as we embark on our own journey towards Industry 4 in the construction and building industry? Andrew, could I ask you which sectors you see as the first movers here? 
Well, that's, that's difficult to say with certainty because the problem that we have with Industry 4.0 is that the take-up is so patchy. Uh, whilst we can work uh, and have, have been working very happily and successfully, I believe, with Siemens and with other organisations, there are many other companies within Australia which you might think were actually going to adapt and adopt to the uh, principles of Industry 4.0 that have already been gone through, things like digital twinning, uh, the Internet of Things, etc. And yet uh, there seems to be a genuine, genuine reluctance on the part of many uh, manufacturers to do that. Uh, I, I know that that's not something isolated to Australia, that even in Germany, uh, something of the order of 40% of, uh, of companies there uh, mainly uh, concentrated in the Mittelstand, the, uh, the small to medium enterprises, uh, aren't uh, adopting uh, the, uh, the principles of Industry 4.0. But in Australia, it's even higher. Part of that is, of course, the lack of investment that is occurring in manufacturing. Part of it, of course, is perhaps a reluctance uh, and uh, notwithstanding our, our reputation as an early adapter, you know, we had a huge, huge uh, uptake of uh, mobile phones when they were first introduced. Uh, we had a very rapid a adaptation to the introduction of the internet and what have you. Uh, in industry, uh, there seems to be a reluctance to do that. And yet I find that curious because uh, Australia, in technological terms, has never really bent the knee to other uh, other countries. We've adapted, we've adopted, uh, and we've developed those uh, those mechanisms and techniques uh, wholeheartedly. Yeah, it is an interesting point. Um, I can say that our team has certainly wondered a lot about the reluctance that we've seen in the building space. Jeff, do you think that Industry 4.0 is easier to engage with for large, medium or small companies? Uh, is it different, for example, from a small company compared to, I don't know, a, a large global integrated technology firm such as yourselves? Yeah, it's a great question. I just want to touch on, before I get to that, a couple of comments that Andrew made uh, about the lack of investment, and I'd say capital investment uh, in Australia in the manufacturing sector. Uh, it might surprise you to know that uh, Australia ranks as number 30 in the world for investment in simple automation. And I, I referred a few moments ago to the automation of automation, but we're actually still very hesitant, whether that's through lack of confidence, whether it's through lack of public settings that point people in, in a clear vision for the future. Uh, so we have to get over that as a country first. And I, I, I would say the business leadership needs to talk up the, the competitive potential locked in actually embracing all of this new way of manufacturing. Uh, if you then ask me again, if I come back to your point, you know, do, do you need to have a factory the size of Siemens' largest factory in Germany? It's the Hamburg factory. It's often held out as being the exemplar of what we're talking about in Industry 4.0. Um, very flexible, very, very high quality output rates. Um, um, but it's very large. If you look into the Australian, we've got great examples of small organisations that have put the thought about um, automating and then thought about, okay, there's a cloud environment. How do I get my data? How do I get my quality up? How do I actually become increasingly competitive? And there's a, one um, example that we use, Wolf of the Willows. It's a craft brewery. But they're, they're clearly embracing this notion of information needs to be used in the manufacturing process real time to, to improve all sorts of measures, KPIs. So they, they scaled up a relatively small factory uh, and are tremendously successful uh, as a number of craft brewers in Australia are when they embrace technology. You've got to invest with confidence. At a, at a slightly larger scale, uh, Dulux, for example, out in... Um, north of Melbourne, build a new plant. And the plant, actually, the, the objective is not to produ be producing world quantities of paint, but it is about the flexibility of batches running through that plant. One fiftieth of the size, one eighth of the time, and all of these things just actually prevent the foreign uh, import of what is essentially something that needs to be produced locally close to the point of consumption. So there are lots of examples where it can be done, but I'd say, and to, to actually underline Andrew's comments, it goes to confidence and it goes to a little bit of capital um, uh, expenditure, investment, and again, I'd, I'd also like to see an ever-increasing amount of support in the policy settings, whether that be federal or state. 
Can I just um, add a comment there? It, it really triggered my thought about, you know, when you started, um, Matthew, you talked about a transformation in the global economy. Well, even in the last few weeks, one of those other transformations is supply chain constraints, you know, people and products. So Jeff's point about the example of someone like Dulux, what we've got to make sure is there isn't a constraint in the flow of ideas and access to those ideas. Because when people, and, and like the craft brewer, when they start to see what's possible, then they'll trial some things. So I think that's our opportunity as sort of us on the call and the CRC is to not make um, another constraint, a constraint of the flow of ideas. It has to be that free flow of ideas, that opportunity so that people see what good can look like and give it a try. And I think that's when, you know, and Andrew's looking at the whole skills and capability. And I think that's a, another big opportunity for us to have, make sure there aren't those barriers there to, to stop Australia really benefiting from this. I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's a really interesting point, uh, especially given that much of the public discourse around Industry 4.0 tends to focus on technology in isolation. Just going back a little, in visiting the Siemens factory at Amberg and other factories as part of the task force, how did you see Industry 4.0 impacting the people on the ground that worked in those factories or within the industry? I think one of the things that brought that together, plus we had the opportunity to meet with some of the young people who are in an industry 4.0 apprenticeship, like a, an advanced apprenticeship style, which was all about uh, taking a capability and looking at how do we expand that into skills. So for me, looking at the, the scale of something like that Amberg factory, looking at how you can build skills through projects. And importantly, again, keeping sort of the global borders open, there were teams in Germany, and I think it was India and Australia working together. That's what we have to do is stay, yes, look at, stay in that global chain of ideas. And, and that for me was the exciting thing, learn, and then bring it home and, and help Australian businesses doing some of that onshoring that we heard about earlier. Um, Matthew, if I, if, I, if I could interject, um, the Amberg factory was a, a, a real eye-opener for me for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of them is because uh, they, had, uh, they effectively at that time had two parallel production processes operating, one being automated the, uh, in, the, in the industry 3.0 sense, but running next to it, the, the digital factory, producing the same products. Um, and uh, it was remarkable to me that a company was able to do that. And the levels of efficiency that were able to be achieved in the digital plant were significantly greater. I'm sure Jeff could probably reel off the facts and figures. But the issue for me, for me was that it wasn't accompanied by massive redundancies. It was accompanied by a massive upload of information and education for the workforce there. And in fact, the, the really big eye-opener for me was when we had the opportunity to ask the plant manager at the end of the tour some questions about what the impact of the digital factory was. He gave us those facts and figures, but when I asked him about uh, the training that had been undertaken and what budget they had uh, devoted to training, he said, I don't know. And the reason why he said, I don't know, is because he said, we leave it up to the teams to determine which of their members are going to be actually trained and who, and who, who it is needs it. And if somebody comes forward with an idea, so long as it fits in with the, with the demands of, of the work and the, and the needs of the, of the team and, of, and overall of the plant, we do it. And, uh, and, and so what that means is that, is that uh, there was a really... Uh, um, a very cooperative approach to both training and also the relations in the workplace. I was very proud to note that uh, that the manager was actually a former uh, delegate or representative, Igamatal, our sister union, and uh, and he was actually able to uh, show that 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 was that was a process which not only increased productivity but also increased job satisfaction. It seemed to me that nobody wanted to leave, and uh, on that basis, you'd have to say that the, digital, the introduction of digital and the introduction of the principles of Industry 4.0 was a huge success, uh, both in terms of productivity but also in terms of job satisfaction and the connectedness that workers felt uh, with the jobs that, that they had in hand. That's true, Andrew. It's in the, in the uh, two decades, 
in that evolution of that factory, there's the same amount of workers there, not less. And actually, they're producing 1,400% more, more productivity out of that factory. So this sort of um, hesitation to go into automation in case it loses jobs, yeah, if the productivity comes along, that's all fine. It, it works. That really does sound like a great outcome. I'd certainly like to go and have a look at that factory myself uh, when I'm next in Germany. Uh, I'd like to move now, though, to why we think Industry 4.0 is of use in building and construction specifically. Uh, this issue is reflected in a question by Dr. Phil Christopher from the University of Melbourne. What aspect of Industry 4.0 do you believe will be the most transformative for the Australian building industry over the next decade and why? Jeff, when framing your company's intelligent infrastructure program, I know you must have come across uh, these kinds of questions. Can you speak to what aspects of Industry 4.0 are suited to the building industry? The whole approach of the, the German model is to say, there's so many things that we have to get right. What are the core? So of course, the standards for reference architecture is at a minimum, otherwise things can't talk to each other. You, of course, have to do the materials and the technology development. You, you need absolutely to make sure it's cyber secure. You, you've got to make sure the legal framework is able to operate in this new world of exchanging data and where are the crossover points, where the risk changes happening. And as Andrew um, uh, led with Alex Subic, the, this idea of reskilling, new skilling, uh, and and how do we get that um, through the, the the thought processes of those that are educating, whether that be secondary, post-secondary, in any sort of format. So to, to describe it as a revolution means that you need to attack it on more fronts than just one. And I think that's the beauty of the German model. It's not the technology in itself but it's about realising there's a massive change happening and we need to do all those things in, in coordination to get us uh, moving further forward. So that, that is sort of a bit of background. Again, I didn't probably express it as well as I would have liked to earlier on about what is Industry 4.0. Apply it in the buildings environment. Just, you know, we all know in the building environment that the bulk of the cost doesn't happen during construction. It happens in the through life of running a building. Unfortunately, in most settings, the people that actually build the building don't own the buildings through life. So they don't necessarily invest in the technologies that actually make it more efficient over its life. What I'm really optimistic about at the moment, uh, coincidentally, maybe, is that this whole energy efficiency push net zero 2050 now will lead to policy settings encouraging much more efficiency than what we've seen before and I really, really am optimistic that that's going to open up more doors into those sorts of things in the building environments that have been a, a, a boat anchor, if you like, over the last couple of decades, A, in construction, and B, in uh, what are the technologies that are in buildings. Yeah, I think it's a really good point, Jeff. And thinking about how we can shift these blockages in construction with Industry 4.0 um, is a very interesting point. Uh, we also have a question here from one of our researchers in the organization that's addressed directly to you. And it comes from Dr. Tanya Tuvema from QUT. As Siemens is a technology company, we saw it more in technology side than in, in construction side. Um, I would like to really hear what a technology company is thinking that the construction business could be in next 10 years. It is about the interrelated connection of all of the pieces um, without simplifying too much. Material sciences will improve a lot. And the things that we construct with and how buildings are actually breathing and living and accommodating what's going on will without question change and develop. Uh, that means ever larger additive manufacturing. You would say larger pieces, but also more flexible. If I use the analogy in healthcare, we have larger and larger and larger MRI machines. Three Tesla, four Tesla, seven Tesla, the research are all bigger, bigger machines. But actually now we have uh, very, very powerful MRI machines that get in a helicopter and go to site. So think about construction in a different form, using the technologies in situ or remotely, depending on what's the most appropriate. So I think it's not a one-trick pony. I think there's many things going to happen in technologies there. Uh, 
energy efficiency we've covered off. There's no doubt that it, that buildings will be really a driver of uh, big gains in energy efficiency, energy usage. Whole of life costs we covered. But the ability to understand where that is, model it, digital twin. Uh, BIM has a, has a terminology in the industry that's been around for a very long time, but we really never actually cracked it in terms of understanding in detail, with enough detail, and be able to correct real time. Um, and again, the final comment is that a building as such is part of a bigger piece of infrastructure, and it's going to have to talk to other domains. Thanks for that, Jeff. Um... Andrew, taking this point a little further into your area, which is obviously manufacturing, why do you think building should adopt a more manufacturing approach? Well, I suppose one of the things which needs to be noted is that a lot of uh, building uh, is, is actually now being done in a manufacturing environment, as in uh, in, in a prefabrication sense. Um, and, and I think that part of the uh, way that we can conceptualise of Industry 4.0 and more importantly see it implemented is if we can look at the way that uh, that, the, that those systems that have been introduced uh, can be introduced just as effectively in a construction environment as they can be in a manufacturing environment. Uh, for mine, one of the major points of entry for many people into Industry 4.0 is the notion uh, that because people people get concerned that their skills may be irrelevant, that skills are actually far more important than they ever were. And even though even though they mightn't be swinging on a spanner or or whacking whacking a hammer, um, the fact is that the, that that those fundamental still skills still inform the skills which are going to be used when they when they're um, performing the various manipulations to build a structure to create a uh, create a, a new way of working. And and I think that. Uh, that for mine, that's the really exciting part, making that connection between the technology of the future and the skills that we have at the moment. Uh, for mine, also, uh, build, the building industry uh, is looking is looking to those those sort of things because, after all, they have to be able to f f create buildings which are, uh, in the same way as manufactured goods, are able to not only be constructed and th given through life uh, maintenance, but also uh, ultimately disposed of. Um, there's very few buildings, I imagine, that are that are being built right now, which will be around in a hundred years' time. Unlike uh, those buildings, which perhaps we might know and admire from the Victorian era and before, uh, I, I think that the, the normal life of a building these days, even, even uh, multi-storey uh, multi high-rises, uh, is, is really now counted in decades rather than centuries. And I think that part of that needs to be looked at in, term, in the same way that, uh, that cars need to be able to be disposed of in a, an environmentally sound uh, manner. Uh, buildings will also need to be uh, at least modified and or disposed of in an environmentally sound manner as well. Completely agree with that sentiment. It's a great opportunity, in fact, for Industry 4.0 techniques to contribute to uh, reducing environmental impact of building. Uh, in fact, this is really getting close to some of the core values of Building 4.0 CRC and interests of many of our partners and their customers. Here we have a question about developing these relationships from Stuart Spencer, from our partner at Salesforce, who asks the panel... How they think the building industry could better improve its relationships with its end customers and with its value chain suppliers. Bronwyn, can I ask you, do you think uh, Industry 4.0 will help the building industry to get closer to its customers? Uh, one of the things that we've talked about, certainly at the CRC and more broadly, is how do you make sure that you're putting the end user, the customer at the centre of this, and it's commonly coined being a customer centric. And that's not saying I've got a solution for you. It's saying what outcome do you want? And, and so you start with that very outcome driven innovation in a way, because often for people, you know, the, the outcome they want, especially with buildings, on the one hand, could be quite simple, but you start to layer over that. I want it to be more energy efficient. I want it to um, have a total cost of ownership that's um, within these constraints. And, and so the, when you start from a very much an end user, that customer centric point of view, then you can use all of those problem solving skills that Andrew's just talked about. You need the, the fundamentals, you need the foundations, but in service of um, using them to solve 
a way to achieve the outcomes that people want. So it's sort of flipping the experience. And that's, I think, the beauty also of the whole industry 4.0, it's flexibility, but it's also reduced waste. It's, so there's a whole lot of things that, that will allow us to really be um, that customer-centric industry. And, and it starts with, one, knowing who your, your customer is, and it, it's very many people, and then saying, how are we going to work together to achieve that? Thanks, Bronwyn. Uh, while we're on this topic, uh, certainly this deeper knowledge of who our customers are obviously extends out into the wider community and how society can or, or should interact with buildings. Luke Belfield from the Office of Projects Victoria asks, How is Industry 4.0 helping deliver much broader benefits for community and making sure that we're building the right projects in, to begin with? A couple of things. So when we think about buildings, there's probably three broad areas. There's your commercial, your retail and your residential. And if you hone in on the residential, what people want now especially are um, affordable housing, they want safe housing, they want it efficient, efficient, effective housing to suit the environment. So how are we going to make sure we've got the right projects to begin with is by going back to what outcomes do people want. I mean, I can say they're the outcomes for communities, but we need to go and ask the communities and that will be different. So if I'm in a commercial community, what do I want? I want access to other commercial operators. If I'm in a retail setting, I want access to customers and throughput. If I'm in a residential setting, I want a community and I want access to green spaces. So we've got to go and find out what people want. Then we'll be building the right pro, um, the right projects to begin with. And then we'll be, be able to have the right skills for those projects. Yeah, indeed. Starting with the end in mind, right, makes good sense in building. Uh, just picking up on that point about skills, this has certainly been a recurring theme in our conversation so far. Probably because deep change can also arouse deep fears within an industry. Uh, on this, we have a question from Daryl Patterson, our partner from Lend Lease. What we often hear about with technology is, oh, it'll lead to disruption and job losses. And there's a negativity about that. But history actually tells us a completely different story. Every new technology has generated a wealth of new employment opportunities and roles that hadn't been imagined before that technology existed. So my question to the panelists would be, what are the roles of the future that they think Industry 4.0 is going to give rise to? Andrew, in considering Daryl's question there, uh, what's the AMWU's experience after launching your Australia Rebooted program in 2019? Um, just for listeners here, in that program, the AMWU attempted to step out a roadmap for industry and industry 4.0 within manufacturing. Did that lead to a loss of jobs or did it create new jobs? Um, well, uh, there's been a, a number of developments, I suppose. Uh, one, one, one development which hasn't occurred in the way that we would like uh, is that what I reflected on before with Amberg, the notion of teams-based working, uh, the idea of uh, a cooperative approach to, uh, to, to workplace change, uh, hasn't actually been uh, occurring in Australia. Um, and uh, whilst we've got some really good exemplars of, uh, of, of good, uh, really good practice, uh, where there's uh, good consultation, the ideas of the workforce are adopted, uh, where, uh, where, where the technology has been introduced, places like Sutton Tools and Anchor. Um, uh, that's not the experience across the board. The survey that we undertook of our members in 2018, uh, which is reflected in the uh, Australia Rebooted publication, indicates that, uh, that, that there's... Uh, that, that whilst there's... Fear and fear on on behalf of the uh, the workforce about job loss. Uh, there's also there's also a real confusion, I think, about what uh, Industry 4.0 uh, can encompass, uh, and I think also there's been a, a process of trying to realise upon the technologies that are already introduced, as opposed to the new technologies which could be introduced. There's been a genuine slowdown in the take up of. Industry 4.0 and the digital uh, di digital economy, if you like. Um, I think that 
part of what we have to do is to see uh, that digital is not the threat that people think it can be, uh, that, that there's got to be a, a view to say, uh, how can we improve this and how can, how can we do it and bring the workforce with us? Uh, for me, uh, the skills which people have need to be uh, not, on, not only enhanced, but new people coming through, young people, but also existing workers, have to be able to, uh, to see a place for themselves in the, in, in, in the workforce of the future. I think the problem is exacerbated because many young people don't see themselves as having a future in construction, in manufacturing, and yet, uh, and yet the, desi the human desire and the, the, the knowledge and, 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 and sheer enjoyment in making things uh, is, is, I think, a fundamental human, uh, hu human need. Can I pick up on something that Andrew said? Because it really made me smile, and it's that joy of making things. Every three and four year old you see, you see that joy, you see that wanting to make something, whether it's with their Lego blocks or their Meccano set or the sandcastle. And I think um, we need to go beyond demonstrating just the economic benefits, but it's sort of going to that sort of customer centric right at the start, grabbing that joy and it's a wonderful word I think that we often take out of industry we talk about it in such serious terms but it is a real joy and it's a joy of problem solving and making something that people actually want to use and in in this sector in, in building 4.0 it's also the place where people are going to live and work and that's a joy so I think there's an opportunity to inject that joy of making that joy of problem solving back into this whole conversation. There's a lot more to be optimistic about because the enabling information is at our fingertips now. It does seem that the time is very ripe right many things appear to be converging in this moment um, so it's safe to say, I think, that we all agree that bringing Industry 4.0 into the construction industry is a great idea, but how do we make it happen? Uh, this has been the subject of a few questions uh, here, uh, firstly from Dr. Ivana Kuzmanovska at Monash University. You know, some of these processes that we're talking about are quite radical departures from the way that we do things now. And so what the best way and most um, effective way is going to be to... Uh, implement this kind of change across the industry. And then another question from Professor Tuan No from the University of Melbourne. Uh, our industry is actually uh, very uh, resistant to, to change and really difficult to, to make them adopting some of the, the new technology, which can bring a lot of benefit. So hope, hopefully our panel can also share uh, with us our, uh, their views about how we can actually change the culture the adoption of Industry 4.0. Roman, in picking up on Ivana and Tuan's questions, uh, what can we do to change the mindset in the industry? A really good way to start is to show, not, not to keep telling. And that's where some of the Lighthouse projects, some of those opportunities, and dare I say, when, when the borders open up again, that opportunity to travel and to see what's happening elsewhere and to take ideas, you know, we heard Andrew talking earlier about Australia being um, an early adopter and an early adapter. When you see things, you start to see the potential. We look at um, places like Singapore are looking at digital twins of their whole uh, physical infrastructure, and they haven't got it completely worked out, but they're on that, that roadmap. They're on that way of doing things. So let's find out what they're doing, and I think that's going to be part of our opportunity. Thanks, Bronwyn. Um, in terms of shifting the dial in this country and around the topic of change management, uh, Jeff, I'm sure you're pleased to note that the Australian government has appointed a minister for the digital economy, Senator Jane Hume. And I mentioned before that the AMGC is funding a project within Building 4.0 CRC to lay out a roadmap for Industry 4.0 in construction. More generally, though, what role do you think government can play here? Government, in my view, is, is, um, should be reading trends, should be enabling those trends to take place where they're serving the interests of um, economic development, society development. Uh, the, the appointment of a digital economy uh, minister says a lot of things. Uh, 
many people in the circles that I move around in talk about digital economy and what they're thinking about is something like MyGov or my bank transactions. But what we're talking about is actually the, the um, use of the digital information in, in a setting where we actually make stuff. So that there's slightly different things that digital, I was on that particular uh, advisory group for the, the paper that was released recently and, and pushed very heavily that government's role should be to enable the adoption of technologies that haven't yet got the scale to have the efficiencies and the, and the cost levels that we know can happen in the future. Read, wind farms, read, solar. They had a help at the beginning and then the government should step back and let, let the best uh, technologies and practices survive on their own on their own legs. So my my strong advice is then pick the industries where clearly we're good and we have the skills to continue to be competitive, but then pick a number of those enabling capabilities that are crucial across all industries. And here you get into construction, you get into manufacturing. So we have to be competitive there because we can't compete with the world if we're not. Absolutely agree with that, Jeff. Um, Andrew and Bronwyn, do you have any points around policy or thoughts on what the government might be able to do here? I think that concept of helping um, right at the beginning, again, that demonstration, because that whole approach um, to energy efficiency, the whole approach to new forms of energy, it's vital for sort of the world's future and certainly for Australia's part in that. So how do we help those industries get that scale? And I think those, in, those policy settings are the right way to start. But I think the problem is that government not only has to encourage, it also has to legislate. Uh, I think net zero by 2050 is an essential part of Australia's uh, future and the world's future. Um, but as Mariana Mazzucato uh, points out, so much of innovation occurs because government enables it either legislatively or by encouraging particular productive processes, in instruments. I mean, what she shows is that the iPhone, for instance, was developed from so many different initiatives, many of them taken up by government. And I think that uh, in turn, uh, that if we are going to reach net zero by 2050, it's not only important to encourage by words, but also to uh, encourage by, uh, by legislating for those outcomes. And I fear that without such enabling legislation, that, there, that we're not going to reach uh, net zero by 2050, and nor are we going to be able to implement um, the, the technologies and, and, the, and the capacity for adaptation uh, that Industry 4.0 represents. Um, I mean, I know that there is always disruption arising from any uh, introduction of new, new levels of technology. We, we understand that. That's the, way that. that's the way that it is. But it doesn't mean to say that you just simply uh, glibly suggest that we move fast and break things as, a, as an instrument of government policy. We have to move fast, certainly. But the idea that we break things on the way through, whilst there might be some, might, there might be some slippage, I think that we also have to recognise that in the absence of those sort of uh, suite of policies, both legislative and policy terms, uh, that that we're not go we're not going to be able to achieve those things which we so dearly need to, and which will lead to the adaptation uh, that uh, that we that we know needs to happen, and the creation of new productive methods uh, to be able to enable us to get into both uh, construction and manufacturing and all the other elements of Industry 4.0, such as uh, agriculture. Thanks, Andrew. Look, just picking up on that idea of breaking things, uh, Professor Robin Drogenmuller from QT sends a cautionary note in, in asking about our preparation for Industry 4.0. Uh, when we look at new technologies such as social media, there are many benefits, but there are also some downsides. Do you see any potential downsides of the uptake of Industry 4.0 to our industry? Uh, yes, and uh, put simply... Uh, if human needs are out, outflanked and, and dominated by the needs or demands of a, of a machine, then Industry 4.0 has failed. If we have humans responding to the demands of a machine, a computer, um, then it is inhumane. Uh, and I think that part of, the, part of what, what we have to do is to look at the social licence of technology. Uh, technology is not something that exists in a vacuum. Technology isn't something which simply, oh, because we can do it, we should do it. Uh, 
uh, the reality for many people is that they see the technology works them rather than them working technology. We have to ensure that technology is for human needs and for, and for human-centred requirements. And unless that is the basis upon which Industry 4.0 proceeds, then it will, it will not produce, uh, produce a, a good and better society. It will produce a dystopia which will make 1984 look like a children's story. Well, let's solemnly declare here today that we'll work to make sure that doesn't happen, okay? One way of ensuring we don't go down this path is to make sure that we use the technology in its most effective form. On this topic, we've got a question from Dr. Duncan Maxwell uh, from Monash University. How can we ensure the Industry 4.0 is tailored to the lightweight and responsive needs of building industries? And those needs really are based in the context of site um, with all of its uh, complexities in terms of weather um, multiple uh, actors in the supply chain um, and also complex contracting systems, as well as a lot of legacy um, legacy knowledge and project-based ways of working. So how can we ensure that Industry 4.0 is lightweight enough to be tailored to construction? Uh, I'm happy to field that question. Uh, firstly, I would say, Duncan, that it's not a one-size-fits-all prospect. I think the construction industry has to look very deeply at what's going on in other leading sectors that we've heard about, uh, particularly in today's discussion. I think we need to take what's relevant for building. I think we need to observe what the major differences are in these other sectors. And I think that, frankly, we need to discard the rest and we need to have the confidence to do that. Uh, I'd like to move to wrap up now. Uh, and to do that, or to begin that process, we've got a comment from Luke Belfield from the Office of Projects Victoria. Industry 4.0 has the potential to change a fundamentally linear process with hierarchical organisation in construction that has been around since the Romans into a whole new approach, an approach that enables complex non-linear processes and an ecosystem of relationships in and between organisations. Luke's comments here uh, are obviously part of a much bigger picture of an industry that's efficient, connected, uh, data-driven, and connected to its stakeholders and its workforce. And I'm sure that we all agree that these are laudable objectives, but many of these things have been around for quite some time. Uh, I wanted to ask you all, uh, why should we be doing this now? Is it that we've reached a level of maturity with some of these technologies, or that our preparedness is at a critical moment. What's right about the timing? Bronwyn, uh, can we start with you? There's, there's, I think, a lot of factors happening, in, including that we've got a very educated consumer base. People are starting to say they are demanding uh, a lot more. They want buildings that are better, that are safer, that are more effective, that are bringing in place a lot of the um, the benefits both to to the economy and the um, ecosystem. So they want more efficient buildings. I think we're seeing more demanding consumers, and therefore, as a as a whole sector, it's our opportunity to step up. So we talk about being customer centric. Well, we've got now some pretty demanding customers, if you like, and and that's going to be one of the driving forces, but also the an impetus for keeping that change going. Well, I think your critic is uh, absolutely correct that going from a fundamentally linear to a non-linear ecosystem uh, method of production of, of working, in fact, is, uh, is clear. Um, whilst, uh, you know, a building is something that starts off with a plan, you provide the materials, you do the construction and, uh, you know, you, 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 ha have a, uh, you have a building. It, 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 of course, those processes w will, of course, remain, but it's the form of the construction which will change, um, both in terms of being able to put together uh, modular, uh, modular components, but also, but also the way in which a, a building itself will, will be constructed, in the same way that large, uh, large things like, well, we shouldn't mention submarines, I suppose, but large things like ships uh, can, be, can be built uh, can be built in 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 very very different environments, not just in shipyards. I think that uh, I think the constructions, whether they be of refineries or 
large, uh, large buildings or even houses uh, are going to be able to be uh, built in, in a lot of different environments. And the whole idea of a modular, uh, modular construction environment, uh, which people have been talking about in, in construction, in, in my recollection, for over 40 years, um, they, are, they, are, they are now, I think, becoming a reality. Uh, thanks for that, Andrew. Look, Jeff, in closing, why now? If we, do, if we believe in climate change, which we do, then in the interim, we need more resilient infrastructure. You, you can't just put your head in the sand, well, that's all the guys in the power generation side that are going to solve that problem. There's multiple domains that are going to have to be changed to get there. Uh, International Energy Agency had 400 milestones to get to net zero by 2050. And inside that is, is this notion of infrastructure being able to respond real time to uh, events. Can we switch from one form of energy to another? Does energy need to be below ground or above ground? All those sorts of things are going to come right now in the, in the context of this digitalization that we're talking about. And I say at this point, there's a difference between digitization, which is capturing data in a PDF form in its low level, as opposed to digitalization is doing something with it. And, and our vision, if we talk about you know, the stages of rail, brick and steel infrastructure. We've moved to semi-automated electric railways, modern buildings with some discrete automation. Third stage, intelligent, what we thought was the panacea, intelligent infrastructure, driverless trains, fully automated build, building smart grids. Now think when all the domains have to interact with each other real time. So the enablement comes from the digitalization, but it's responding to things that are happening beyond our control in the global trends. So there's no question we've got to get there, but we've got to get it organized. Industry 4.0 in the context of infrastructure is saying, there's a lot of things you've got to get done. Standards, technologies, cyber secure, otherwise it won't work anyway. Uh, you, you must have the, the, the legal framework for it to operate, but you've got to have the skills. So all together, then we can move it, move it forward. That was a great point, Jeff, and, and I think that's a great point to finish on. I think it's clear from the discussion today that we've got a lot of work to do. Uh, I'd like to thank the panellists, our partners, and our audience for joining us on what has been a very insightful conversation. All links for this episode can be found on building4.0.org, and I hope you'll join us for our next conversation of the Future Building Podcast.